Praise God, brothers and sisters. All right. I was kind of thinking if I should be walking around or if I should stand here, and then I decided to stand here. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Walk around is better? Is that, yeah? So you can see me better walking back and forth? Sure, either way, man. Whatever you guys like. I, I Seriously, I'm open to it, so let's do it. How about, we, how about I go down, huh? How about I go down? All right, I think I can see you better a little bit and then you can see my face a little bit better so we can hopefully understand each other just a little bit better. All right, so what I have on my heart today to share is a, a word I believe from God and I called it the, the mind of Christ. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians that, but we have the mind of Christ. You know, everything that we do in life begins with how we think. Everything that you do in life begins in your head, okay? Um, in Proverbs, Solomon says this, For as he thinks within himself, so is he. You are not who you try to show to other people. You know, sometimes we go to work and we look and act a certain way because we have to. We come to church and we look and act a certain way because that's the setting we're in. But you are what you think. The framework of your mind determines who you are. And the way you think is going to dictate the way you dress, the way you speak, the way you act. So it all begins with our mind. It all begins with how we think before any actions come. And so it's very, very important for us to understand that, that what we think is extremely important. In Romans 12, 2, Apostle Paul says this, very famous verse, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So here's what Apostle Paul says. He says, do not look like this world. Do not be conformed. Don't be molded into this mold that this world is trying to push on you. Don't look like this world. Don't smell like this world. Don't act like them. Don't speak like them. But he says, be transformed. Be different by, how, is it, how does it happen? It happens by the renewing of your mind. Okay? It's, it's pretty straightforward. There's no transformation of your life. In order for your life to, to be changed, you first need to renew your mind. It's simple. And studying the Word of God and looking into the Word of God, I would also say this, 
that in order for you to be the light in this world, you have to think differently than this world. In order for you to be the salt that Jesus talked about, you have to think differently than this world. Fundamentally different, very different. As I was thinking about this, as I was praying about this, maybe you're asking yourself, okay, if I need to think differently, if Apostle Paul is talking about the renewing of our mind, how do we do that? How do we renew our mind practically, right? That's the next logical question that everyone would probably ask themselves. And I find two ways, two simple ways that a Christian person renews their mind. Number one, that is time spent in God's presence. I have a whole sermon on that. I'm not going to talk about that today. And I'm including when God speaks to you. I'm including a prophecy. I'm including direct word of God into your life. And, and this is time when you're spending in his presence, whether that's prayer or that's communion with him, but you are in his presence. God's presence has the ability to renew and change your mind, okay? And number two, and that's what I'd like to talk about today, is the word of God has the ability to renew your mind, to change the way you think. Now, there are two words in Greek, as may, maybe some of you know, um, for the word of God, that is logos, and that is rema. Rema is the spoken word of God, and logos is the written word of God. And today, I'm talking about strictly about the word of God that we read, the written word of God, and what kind of power does it possess, right? And what can it do in our life? for us. And I'd like to look at a, a verse in Hebrews 4.12. Now, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, so I'm not going to say. Uh, some people say it's Apostle Paul, but um, that's actually not, not 100% known. So in Hebrews 4.12, um, this verse, again, pretty, I would say, pretty familiar verse for us. For the word of God is living and active. Now, the word here is used uh, is Logos. So the, really important to understand that. So he's talking about the written word of God that we have. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now this is very important that we realize that the word of God has the power. It's like a sword. The author says it's like a sword that penetrates very, very deep and it gets to the very essence of who we are. That is the, the thoughts and the intentions, the motive, motives with which we do things. And he says that the word of God is able to judge those things. And it is so powerful that it's able to even go to as far as the division of soul and spirit. So the, the word of God, the written word of God that we read today is very, very powerful. I want to use an example from the Old Testament to look at a story of Josiah. Now, you have just heard uh, the first chapter. Um, this story spans uh, in two chapters, chapter 22 and 23. 
And, you know, I'm just going to kind of go back through the story and, and sort of retell it a little bit. Um, and we're going to follow the storyline. It begins with Josiah becoming a king at eight years old. I don't know what, what kind of tradition that was. But, you know, apparently that was, that was a thing where kids became kings. So he becomes, a, you know, at eight years old, he becomes a king. And then it says 18 years later, so he's about 26 now, he decides to not follow his fathers. He decides to not follow, you know, his grandparents and his, his parents and, and everybody before him that were doing evil things, right? And he says, you know what? I'm going to do something different. I'm going to actually turn to the Lord and I'm going to rebuild the temple. And as they are doing that, so he, you know, he, he calls the, the high priest and he gives him some money. He says, okay, go ahead and distribute this. We're going to rebuild the house. And as they are rebuilding the house, they find the Bible. Now, the Bible has been lost uh, at this point. We don't know for how long. It, it must have been a while, right? But, but the kings were on the downward spiral, Every king would do worse things than his predecessor, right? Every, in, in the, the Bible uses these words that, you know, he was committing worse things than his dad did or, or his grandparents. Like they, every single king would bring in something new, right? And at some point, the Bible was lost. Nobody was reading it. They didn't even know where it was. And here they are. They're digging through you know, the stuff, uh, you know, they're, they're cleaning up the temple and they find this book of the law. And they're like, oh, what is this? Oh, no way, that's the Bible. <laughs> what? And so they start reading it and they realize, oh, man, this is, this is really important. We've got we to gotta bring this to the king. So they bring it to the king, right? And as the king hears this word, right, he hears the, the, the words um, of the law, he realizes how far they have gone away from God. He realizes that, man, we've, man, we've gone up, we've gone far off. And not only is he realizing that they've committed some, some horrible sins, he's realizing the consequences for those sins are coming. Because Deuteronomy specifically states very, very clearly what is going to happen to them if they don't obey the, the law, if they don't follow God's word. And so he repents. And so he, he inquires of God, right? They had no way of asking God, like, what do we do, right? What happens now? So he sends his delegation to a prophetess, and, and she says, because you have humbled yourself, I'm not going to destroy, um, you know, the nation in your time. And so chapter 23 describes what he does after that, right? So... Here, here we see a king who realizes the situation. Here we see a king who understands what happened, right? Without the word of God, without the Bible, um, he realized how far they've gone. And so now I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine the temple, right? In your mind, what does it look like? When I think of the temple, right, I think of the place where God, you know, God lives, right? This was the only place where God existed, uh, you know, in, in Israel, right? The Holy of Holies was the place where God lived. And he chose this nation. And this was the most sacred place um, in the whole nation, right? 
this is where they would, they would bring their sacrifices, right? And I think about, you know, the Solomon consecrating the temple and with the fire of God coming and, and the cloud of smoke and people can't stand in God's presence and this reverence that, that people had, right? In my mind, when I think about the temple, that's what comes to my mind. Now, I want you to picture what actually was happening during the time of this king. As I'm reading this passage, as I'm reading chapter 23, try to follow and imagine what had happened when the word of God was lost. I want you to see the difference, what happened before and what happened now. So chapter 23 says, Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with all the men of Judah and and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of, his, of this covenant that were written in his book. And all the people joined in the covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the, and the priests of the second order and, and the keepers of the threshold to bring out the temple of the Lord, to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for, the, for all the hosts of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and, and carried their ashes to Bethel. And he de, uh, deposed the priest whom the king of Judah had ordained to make offering in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem, those also who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon and the constellations and all the hosts of heavens. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord. Notice where this, this idol is standing. It's right in the house of the Lord. Um, outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and beat it to, to dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord. Now when I read this, this shocked me. I, I, like, I said, so hold on a second, really? Like, first of all, the Russian, Russian translation doesn't, doesn't do any justice for that. It doesn't actually say that. But this is so interesting that... Inside the house of God, inside of the temple, they made these rooms for male cult prostitutes. This was happening in the temple. This is how far the people have gone without the word of God. They had erected these statues for Baal and for Asher right in the temple of God. They had these horses standing for the, the, the God of the sun. They had all kinds of stuff going on. And they had these male cult prostitutes houses, rooms that were in the house of God. But this didn't happen overnight. He goes on to say that there are so many more things that he destroyed. He went and destroyed the high places. And, then, and he also destroyed this very, very uh, important one as well. And he defiled, now verse 10, and he defiled Topeth, which is in the valley of the son of Henan. 
that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Molech. Here's another kind of uh, shocking um, thing that Israelites were, the Israelites were doing. The ritual of offering, um, in, in Russian translation it says passing their sons and daughters through fire. And I've, I've always wondered, like, what does that even mean? Well, this, the, uh, this process involved a giant statue of Molech that was made out of bronze. And his hands were folded like this. And they would set a fire underneath his, his hands that were folded like that. And his hands would, would become glowing red hot because they're made out of, out of bronze, out of metal. And they would, they would set up the drummers around the, you know, this, this, um, this giant statue. And all the people would be standing around. And they would take babies and they would put, put the babies right on these burning hands. Right on these glowing red hot hands and basically fry them alive. That was... That was the, uh, the worship of Molech. And because the babies, is, as you imagine, would be screaming like crazy, they had this drum beat to uh, kind of, you know, numb the, or, or you know, take away that sound so that the parents wouldn't hear their babies screaming. This was the worship of Molech. And he says that in, in Israel, this was happening. And so... King Josiah destroys this, uh, this idol and destroys that whole valley and, and everything that was involved with it. Again, I want you to understand that this did not happen overnight. This was a slow process. This came as a result because the word of God was lost in Israel. And it was this slow descent, right? One king brings this this one God and says, well, we're just going to be like everybody else. You know, we're going to conform a little bit and we're just going to, yes, we will worship God, but we're also going to bring in a little bit of, you know, this. And then another one comes after him and he says, well, well that's good that we have this statue, but let's bring another idol in here. And uh, they, they kept on bringing more and more and more. And then they, then they had these male cult prostitutes. And then they had the, the Molech. And then they had all these other ones. I mean, this whole chapter is dedicated to, to what he was doing. You know, they had all these altars built everywhere and these sacred trees. And, and all this stuff that was burned down and, and, and uh, destroyed, right? And, um, and, and, and as I was reading all this, I was just, I was taken back. And I was like, man, like. These are the chosen people of God. How could this happen? Um, and I realized that, you know, if the word of God is lost from our lives, it's a slow process. But we are going to drift away without the word of God. I want you to apply that in your life and ask yourself, do I really make the word of God important in my life? How long has it been since I've been reading the Bible? I'm realizing more and more that so many people today, they say they're, they're, we're Christian, but they don't actually study the word of God. This is a prime example of what happens when the word of God is lost from someone's life. 
suddenly things are not, they don't seem so bad anymore. Well, this world is doing it. Everybody's doing it around me, right? So it must be okay. Apostle, Apostle Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, it takes effort. You're, you know, it, if you're not going to do anything, you're going to be conforming to this world. I use this analogy that it's like being in the ocean, right? It's like being in the lake or in the body of water and, not, and trying to not be wet. Everywhere you go, everywhere you look, the social media, the, the, the movies, the YouTube, I mean, you name it. Everywhere you look, the advertisements, school, uh, your work, everything tries to make you conform. And so much and so often we don't even realize that our mind is being slowly affected by this, by this world. We start thinking like this world without even realizing it. And so Apostle Paul warns us and he says, you need to renew your mind so that your life is transformed. It begins with renewing your mind. And the word of God is living and active. It penetrates deep down and it judges your thoughts and it judges your motives. Now, while the word of God is living and active and it judges your thoughts and intentions. It is up to you what you do with that. What I've realized is so many people go to church and they hear the word of God, but they don't apply it and it has no effect on them. Have you ever wondered why people go to church for so many years and this word of God doesn't transform them? I believe it's because people don't practically apply it in their life. They hear it, and they say, man, good sermon. But they don't do anything about it. They don't practically apply it. I want to use, you know, in John 14, 15, Jesus says this plainly. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I want to use an example from ch uh, Matthew 6, um, chapter, or, uh, chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust, rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want you to follow this very carefully with me. Here's what Jesus says. I'm, t I'm giving you a commandment. Whether you understand it, whether you agree with it or not, I want you to do that. What is it that he's asking us to do? He's asking us to invest into the heavenly account. And in the beginning, we may not feel like doing it. But he says, do it because I tell you to do it. 
And as you begin to do that, he says, as you begin to invest into your heavenly account, your heart shifts. And your heart is there also. What does that mean? That means that your values change. As you are applying the word of God that he gives us, whether you understand it, whether you like it or you don't, you just do it. As you are doing it, your values, your motives, they start shifting and changing. And before you know it, your treasure, your most important things, everything that you possess, your treasure is in heaven. But it begins with obedience to God's word. If we don't apply what we learn, if we don't practically take something from a service, we go home and we say, God, please help me do what I've just learned today. This word will not have effect in our life. The word of God is powerful. It's living and it's active. It's penetrating deep and it's judging your thoughts and your intentions. But we all have a choice. Are we going to obey the word of God? And as we obey, we may not understand it right away. We may not even like something like forgiving other people. But we obey God's word. Our mind will be renewed. And as a result of that, our life will be transformed. It begins with our mind. As our mind is renewed, our life is transformed. In Psalms 119.99, David says, I have more insight than all of my teachers, for I meditate on your statues. I have more understanding than, my, than the elders, for I obey your precepts. He puts these two together. He says, I meditate on it and I obey. This is the literature style of saying the same thing. In Psalms, we see that a lot. And you can, re you can learn that in Bible college. That they'll repeat kind of like the same thing in two different, two different ways. And when they do that, that is a reiteration of the point, meaning this is really important that I want you to pay attention to. And he says, first I meditate on it, and then he says in the same sentence, in the same, like saying the same thing, then I obey. It's like these two interchangeable words, right? I meditate and I obey. I, was, I read this story once um, about a man who... His, uh, this happened on August 3rd, 1996. His name was Melvin Hitchens. He sat on his front porch and read the Bible. After his Bible reading, the 66-year-old New Orleans resident went in his house and retrieved a 45 caliber handgun. He went back outside and shot his neighbors. Uh, he killed Donna Jett as she swept her sidewalk and injured Daryl Jett while he was mowing. Family members and neighborhood residents testified that Hitchens and the Jets had a running, uh, running conflict over the care of their yards and the cleanliness of the gutters. 
No one, however, had an explanation how a man could put down his Bible and commit such a violent act. Positive transformation requires the application of God's word. I was listening to a testimony a while back, and um, as I was kind of preparing and thinking about this sermon, I remembered that um, the KKK clan. Um, I, you know, there's a testimony online, I, I don't know, you know somewhere on YouTube, um, of, of one of the members that, that had been saved and, and, you know, came out of it. And he was sharing how they use the Bible to justify what they do. And I thought, what? How could you use the Bible to justify killing other people? But they managed somehow. I don't know how. <laughs> I have yet to find out. The point is that without practical application, the Bible is not active. Without reading your, the word of God, you cannot apply it in your life. And just like I shared earlier, right, the parable of the two men, the point of that, of that parable was that the one man was listening to God's word and not applying it. The one that built it on the sand. And then the, the, the second man that built it on the rock, it was the man that listened to God's word and he applied it. And his building had the solid foundation that was built on the rock. What is Jesus saying? There's great danger in listening to God's word and not obeying it, not applying it practically in our life. Let me ask you today, how are you going to apply this message in your life practically? There's so many different tools today that you can do. Simply just starting uh, a Bible reading plan with your friends. I've, I know we've done it with my friends where you're reading it and you're keeping each other accountable. Um, you're making notes. You know, it's really important that when you read something that you actually try to get something out of it and you make notes because that's how, that's how you are able to receive revelations from the word of God. Maybe you're going to uh, think about this and decide for yourself to come and join Bible college. That would be another practical application of how you can study the word of God. But what I want to encourage you guys, all of us today, is to understand that we desperately need the word of God. That God left this word for us so that we would be the light and the salt in this world. And it's becoming so hard to do that. You can testify. You know, did you know that I recently heard this statistic and it just blew me away, honestly. I, I still can't get over it. The Gen Z, how many of you guys are Gen Zs here? Raise your hand. This is born after year 2000. Come on, just keep your hands up. I want to see. I, I think probably the majority, right? I, I would say probably about 80% of you guys here, right? So 20% of Gen Z generation today consider themselves some other gender. 20%. While it used to be just 20 years or something ago, it used to be 3 to 5%. This number is 20% today. 
I ask myself, how could this happen? We live in a world that will make you conform to the way they think. It all begins right here. Through media, through social media, through YouTube movies, and so on. We're surrounded by it. This happened on a subconscious level. Our mindset is being transformed and we're not even realizing it, guys. We need to actively study the Word of God so that it can transform our life, so that it can renew our mind, so that we would be different than this world. In order to be the light, you have to think differently. Can we all stand? We're going to pray right now. And I want to make this prayer very specific. I want to pray that God would help us to realize the importance of his word in our life. To realize that without his word, we're lost. We're going to be going in the wrong direction. We're going to be building our house on the sand. There's so many wrong teachings out there today that look good, that looks like it's it's a decent foundation for my house. But without actually studying the word of God, we won't know what is the rock. I I want to call every single one of us today to really pray to God right now and ask God, please help me. Please help me to be a practical Christian. Someone who applies your word every single day in my life. As I go to a service, as I pick up my Bible or open my app to read your word. So that I don't don't just read it to say, oh, I've read it. And just to clear my conscience and say, okay, I'm good for the day. But to understand that this is a living two-edged sword that is capable of transforming my life and renewing my mind. Let's pray.